The reading comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 12. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now I'm going to uh, read from Colossians chapter 4 now. Because this is, uh, I'm just going to read the verses that we're going to be thinking about. So it's Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, which say, uh, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, because of which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Colossians 4 verse 2 says there, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And the words praying and watching remind us of what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was taken captive. He told his disciples to watch and pray because testing times were coming to them. Uh, they were about to see Jesus crucified before then seeing him risen from the dead. Uh, that was indeed the great moment in the, in the history of the world. And his disciples were about to witness it all firsthand, you know, that in all its horror and its subsequent glory, the sadness of Jesus's death and then the joy of Jesus's resurrection. So this was certainly no time for the disciples to get distracted or, or wander away. You know, e even if their attention had wandered at other times, now was the time to focus. And so Jesus told them to be watchful, which means be alert or be awake, and to pray for God's grace to help them through it. Now, a few decades later from, from that, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. And he uses the same words, watch and pray. And he says that the, he and the Colossians were also living in a moment of great importance for the history of the world. Uh, when he says in verse five, the time should be valued highly. And in fact, what was true of them in the middle of the first century uh, is still true of us today. 
because we are still living, I believe, in the moment of great importance that Paul was talking about here. Paul says we are living in the age of the news of Jesus Christ. It's being announced to the world. Uh, in verse 3, Paul, ref Paul refers to it again. He's done this before. He refers to this news of Jesus as, as a mystery that has now been made known. Uh, he used this phrase earlier on in chapters 1 and 2, where he said that this is something that was hidden for ages past, but it has now been fully revealed to us. And that thing is Jesus. And Jesus, because Jesus reveals the fullness of God to us, he said. So the life and truth and grace of Jesus has kind of proclaimed and displayed fully who God is for all the world to see in a way that it that had not been seen before. Okay, it's a mystery that is was hidden, but is now revealed for all to see. Think of it like a light that has been switched on in the history of planet Earth when Jesus came to the world. A mystery once hidden is now revealed. So these verses, what they're what Paul is doing in his mind is he he takes this kind of grand view of history, and he says that that we and the world have been living in an age of huge importance ever since Jesus came here, ever since he died and rose again and ascended as king. Perhaps 2,000 years of, of Christianity means we forget this. Uh, we forget what a difference Jesus has made and, and is making in the world. Paul says basically to us, we are living in an incredible time in world history. Uh, that's why we read, uh, Lorna read from 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read some of that again. Peter is talking about this time that we live in, the age when Jesus has been made known. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently with the greatest care. They were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, so this is the old prophets before Jesus, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, who, when they spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So Peter's saying there, look, this is the, the most incredible time we're living in. Even the angels longed to find out and see what Jesus has now made known to us. We are very fortunate. We are living in this age of Christ's reign as king, the gospel age, the, the days when God has been revealed more clearly than ever. These are the days that the Old Testament prophets looked forward to for centuries in hope. They sometimes called it the age to come or the latter days, which doesn't just mean the end of the world. You know, it goes into that, but it means the entire age of history after the Messiah, Jesus, had come. It is now here, that time that they look forward to, and it has been ever since Jesus came. And the death and resurrection of Jesus are, are the kind of thing that changes everything. And, and Jesus is now shaping the whole universe this was what chapter one was about in colossians if you remember uh you know god in christ is reconciling everything to himself he's made peace 
through the blood of Christ's cross. This is what God has done in the history of the world. And we are living in it. We're part of this as the church. And I hope that makes us excited. Uh, Paul is saying here in these verses, recognize the time. Recognize the time. Watch and pray. Because now is the time for us to make Jesus known to the world. Now, he says that we do that. We make Jesus known to the world both through what we do, verse 5, and in how we speak, verse 6. So this is a passage about mission, our mission as the church, about how significant and exciting and important that mission is. Now, Paul, first of all, asks the Colossians to pray for him as he was doing it, as he was making Jesus known. So he says, pray for us that God may open a door for the, the message or the word so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, there's a sense of irony in what Paul says there. Paul was uh, awaiting trial before Caesar in Rome at this point. So he says he's in chains or in prison. He's locked up. But he asks for prayer that a door may be opened. But he doesn't, he's not really worried about the door of his prison being opened so that he can just walk out. He's, he's asking that we pray, that they pray that a, for a door for the message of Jesus to go out and be proclaimed, even, even if Paul's still a captive. It doesn't matter. He says, pray that a door will be opened, not for me, but for the gospel to go out. Now, there's real encouragement in that, I think, because sometimes we might feel like the circumstances aren't very good. You know, maybe the circumstances restrict us from doing what we want to do for God as effectively as we want to do it. Paul reminds us, look, God can open doors in ways that we haven't even thought of. And, and very often we spend too much time thinking about what's holding us back or restricting us or what isn't quite as perfect as I'd like it to be, instead of realizing that, look, Paul says, even if he's in prison, pray that God will open the door for the message still. The circumstances don't have to be perfect for God to work because he can do great things anyway. It, uh, do you know, it's very interesting to read this letter, Colossians, together with Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, because he says there in Philippians chapter one, I am in chains. But then he says what has happened. So this is the same situation Paul's writing to in Philippians as he's writing here in Colossians. But he says in Philippians one, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ and others have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously. And then if you read on in Philippians, in chapter four of Philippians, Paul sends greetings from some of the people in Rome. So by then he's in Rome. Um, and, and some of them have become Christians. And he says this, Philippians four, all the saints send you greetings. So he means all the Christians there send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So humanly speaking, you know, we might think, well, Paul's imprisonment, this is a disaster. You know, it's closed the door for the message of Jesus. Uh, but in fact, Paul says, no, 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 unexpected doors had been opened by God so that people came to know about God, including, Paul says, some members of Caesar's own household who had become Christians. So take courage. You know, God can open unexpected doors because he's been doing that for years. You know, some of you will know, you would have heard someone come up to 
a Christian and they'll say something like, uh, you know, you said something to me once that really made me think. And, and you know, and now they're a Christian. And, and maybe that thing that, that the other Christians said to them at that time was so insignificant, they thought, that they might not even remember saying it. But clearly that, that little thing had opened a door in the other person's life. God opened that door and brought them to faith. So be encouraged. Now, I said that we share the news about Jesus, both in how we live and how we speak. So in verse five, Paul says, uh, well, it literally says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So walk is, as you probably know in the Bible, walk is a metaphor for the way that we live. Okay, so walk in wisdom, live in wisdom. Paul has already talked about wisdom in this letter. Uh, he told us that wisdom, true wisdom, is found in Christ. So chapter two, verse three, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. In other words, if you want to find and unlock true wisdom, go to Jesus. He's like the treasure chest, which you unlock and open, and suddenly you discover what true wisdom is. And now Paul says, okay, so you're learning from Jesus what wisdom is. Walk in wisdom. Live it. Live that wisdom you've learned and you're learning from Jesus. It, what it basically means is walk like Jesus. Walk in the way of Christ. Imitate him. Follow his walk. Uh, chapter 3, of course, told us some of the things that should characterize our lives as followers of Jesus. Things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And above all, love, uh, chapter three said, that, that is wisdom. That's what it looks like. It is very important that people see what the gospel means as well as hearing it. Uh, and they will see it in our lives as Christians. OK, so walk in wisdom towards others, Paul says. And he adds this somewhat strange phrase, buying up the time. So walk in wisdom, buying up the time. Now, seems to, what he seems to mean is he's trying to tell us there is great value in your time that you have here in the world. You know, it's like something you'd, you'd, you'd want it so much that you'd buy it. You know, that's what he says, buy up the time. Your time is valuable here. There is great value in how you live, in, in everything you do. Now, this doesn't mean when he says this, you know, he says, you know, make sure you're living in wisdom and, and buy up the time. He doesn't mean burn yourself out from thinking you've got to always be doing something really big for God, whatever it may be. What he means is, because we'll just all burn out if we do that. He means, look, value how you live, this, this walking in wisdom. Whatever you may be doing. Remember what he said back in chapter 3, verse 17. In whatever you do as a Christian, do everything in a way that glorifies God, whether you're at home or work or, you know, your leisure time, your play, your church, your neighborhood, live in such a way that it reflects the goodness of God. Do everything with the, the kind of attitudes that Paul has spoken about in this letter. So that's about how we live. Walk in wisdom. And then he talks about our words in verse six. Um, let your speech, literally your words, be full of grace. Now, hopefully we know what grace is as Christians. Grace means to 
to love and give without condition. Okay? Grace is what Jesus did for us. It's why Jesus died and rose again. Didn't have to do that. But he did. Grace gives without condition. Grace is why we're secure in God. Because it's given. It can't be lost. It's given. The word grace is literally the word gift. So grace is not earned. It's not a reward for good behavior. Grace doesn't depend on how worthy we are or whether we've merited it. Nor is grace taken away if we mess up. If it, if it, if it was like that, it wouldn't be grace. It would completely contradict the idea. Paul makes this point in Romans 11 verse 6 where he says, if it is by grace, then it cannot be earned. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace means we are loved. You are loved by God, even if you feel unlovable. Grace means we are blessed, even when we know that we have no right really to be blessed. To quote, quote Romans 5, grace is this. While we were still sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. Grace means we're forgiven, Romans 5 again. Even though our sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. Grace means you are accepted, even though you might look at yourself and think, well, why would God accept me? Well, because of grace, because it doesn't depend on how you feel about yourself. And grace can never be taken away because there was no condition on it in the first place. If you didn't earn grace, how are you going to unearn it? You can't. This is why the Christian gospel is such good news. In a world where everything, it seems, feels like there are conditions on it. Everything seems to hang in the balance. Uh, things can change depending on what you've done or haven't done or who you are or who you have been, who you might be tomorrow, what might happen. All those things can change in the world. But grace comes along and says something very different. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it says nothing, Romans 8, nothing in all the universe can separate you from God's love in Christ. And now Paul tells us, let your words be full of that kind of thing, full of grace. Let the way you speak convey a sense of grace to others. Our words should be motiv motivated towards the other person's good, whoever we're talking to or about, motivated towards their good without any condition, not because you want something back, not as a kind of competition or transaction, not with one-upmanship or disregard, certainly not to cause harm to someone else. No, our words must be words full of grace. In a world full of vitriol and blame and insults and rage against each other, you know, we live in a, in a climate this last sort of, I don't know, 10 years or so, where there's just been this rising sense of just vitriol and argument and, you know, our political uh, scene's been taken over by it at times. The church should really stand out as something so different. From the mouth of the church, us Christians, comes grace because we're followers of Jesus. Let your words be full of grace, seasoned with salt, he says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, salt was a fairly 
common metaphor in ancient times because they relied on it quite a lot. You know, it was valued, you know, salt added flavor, of course, but also keeps things good. Uh, so salted words basically means thoughtful words, careful words, words that do good, that, that you know, instead of decay, causing decay, our words are like salt. They prevent the decay and they add flavor to someone's life, shall we say. You know, they, they're doing good, our words. Um, so that's, that's how our words should be, so that we will know how to answer everyone. That, that implies we have to listen as well as Christians. You know, uh, you, you can't be gracious on your own, can you? It's always about a relationship, Grace. And sometimes we just want to speak. We just want to get our point across. But we do need to listen. You know, this is about knowing how to answer. It's about listening to what somebody says to us so that we can know then what we need to say on behalf of Christ. And Paul says, as we're doing all this, because of the importance of all this in our lives, watch and pray. You know, we, it, we need God to help us in this. And we need to be alert to what God is doing in the world. You know, we started, I started this sermon thinking about the disciples standing with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. A moment of huge importance was upon them. Jesus, who, who they'd put all their hopes in Jesus, uh, they'd been following him. We, they believed, you know, he is God with us, the savior of the world. And they were, gonna, they were just going to see him killed. Okay, he was going to be crucified, die for the sins of the world. All the sin and darkness and death of the world, ours included, was going to be piled on Jesus in that death. God would carry it all for us so that we can be free. And then they would see him rise again. And in his resurrection, God announced that Jesus had won the victory over all those things that he carried, our sin buried with him, evil itself being overcome by the goodness and love of God. And death, of course, death has now given way in resurrection to new life in Christ. Jesus has risen. In other words, the grace of God had won. Jesus had saved the world like he said he was going to. And ever since then, that's the moment we're now living in. Ever since that happened, the world has been living in the light of the resurrection of Christ. It is a glorious time. And we stand here now in this moment. And we know Jesus. You know, we've discovered him and the treasure and the salvation in him. We've discovered what it means that he died and rose again for us and that he's now king of the universe. We know this grace as Christians. God has loved us and saved us. We've got to go out and share that hope of Christ, share the good news, both in our changed lives, the way we live, and, and, and in our grace-filled words, the way that we speak. Be awake as a church. Pray as a church that God will lead us in our time as we share the news of Jesus and that God will open many doors in people's lives. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I'm just, just as I was going to pray, I'm just conscious that sometimes when, when a minister stands up and says, you know, go out there and share Jesus, we, all of us, myself included, we have all these preconceptions in our mind about what's that supposed to be like, or I'm supposed to be like this, I'm, I've got to be like that or that. Lord, and then it becomes stressful 
and it should be a joy. So, Lord, just take from our minds any preconceptions we have which are not us, because we can only be who we are and who your spirit makes us. So, Lord, just take out all those, any of those things that make us anxious about mission and remind us that you've made us as we are and that you've called us as Christians to be the Christian that we are to our, our friends, our families, our neighborhoods. And gift us each individually for the gifts that we have and that you give us each. It will be different for us all so that we'll go out in, in honest faith, watching and praying and ready to live and to speak of Jesus in whatever way you call us to. Lord, as, as Paul shows us in, in this letter and in Philippians, Lord, we sometimes... We're guilty of kind of wanting everything to be so-so and perfect before we think it's going to do anything. Paul says he was locked in chains, but it didn't matter. Pray that the gospel will open doors, and it did. And Lord, help us not to look at ourselves and think, oh, like, we can't do this, I can't do this because of that, I'm no good at that, and whatever. And help us to just stop and say, Lord, open some doors in ways that you know how to. Not me, you know how to, Lord. And then use us, Lord, as a church to bring many others to know what we have discovered, the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus, so that it changes their lives, just like it's changing ours. In Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, that, that as I prayed there, you know, you are, God calls you to be you as a Christian in your setting, and he will equip you for whatever that may look like.